Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And I'm Diggs. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. I don't know how many we've done so far. Something like 50 something, which is scary. Yeah, it's a it's a lot. Uh, but uh, today, today we're doing the cannibalism episode for season three. And we're, we're, let me set the stage for you. I'm normally at least thinking about bed at this time of night. Abby is very hyper. I, I just ate dinner. Uh, it's, I didn't have to work tonight. I am like, I'm a night owl. I I am like wired right now, so recording at night might be a time. Oh boy! And of course, we've got Diggs with us, and, and Diggs is hi. I'm just starting to drink whiskey tonight. <laughs> so you guys, we're gonna do this episode. We're gonna do episode nine. It's gonna be a fun time. Uh, sh- <laughs> should we do our fun facts? Yes. My fun fact is that I do have a little snack up here with me. I've got some trail mix with almonds and cashews and chocolate. And would you like a quick little ASMR? Yeah. It's going to sound like shit, but here we go. Here's me eating a dried cherry. Ready? I think this is perfect for the cannibal episode, so all of the listeners who this is their thing can really be part of the fantasy. <laughs> Abby, what's your fun fact? I, okay, so I, today I am upset. I am upset I had to do something that I wouldn't normally do, but sometimes you agree to do things before you know what that is. And last night I was made to watch Supernatural. Oh, oh no, oh no, 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 no. I'm so sorry. Sorry, I need to clear my name here. And let me go back, let me go back and read this text conversation because I did no coercion or forcing or anything of the sort. I'm going to go back to these texts and I will send screenshots if my voice sounds insincere. Let me scroll back, me congratulating Abigail on things that I'm proud of her for because I'm an excellent boyfriend. I said, do you want to watch my only context for Renfair? And Abigail says, yes. Yes, yes, I do. And then I said, tonight, it's short and Felicia Day is there. And Abigail says, Dr. Horrible. And I say, nope. And then she goes, oh, no. Is it supernatural? And I said, sure is. And she goes, oh, no. Oh, no. And I said, yeah, but Felicia Day is there and gay as hell. And Abigail says, oh my god. And I say, yes. And she goes, well, and then changes the subject. That does not sound like someone who is really trying to avoid watching Supernatural. <laughs> We're going to the Renaissance Festival next week, so... Oh, nice! We watched a LARPing episode. Was it or was it not great? It, it sure was some television. Yeah, exactly. My fun fact is that 
I adopted a Maine Coon cat and since then have exclusively consumed Stephen King content. His name is Arthur and he's in my lap. And if he screams during the recording, it's because he needs medicine. Oh no. <laughs> I want to hear the full name. Uh, his name is Prince Arthur Pendragon, the once and future King of Camelot. And what do we call him? Artie, parentheses, from Glee, Skimper Scamper, and Noodle Man. Excellent. I was just going to say that my dog was named Abby at the shelter, so we had to change her. So she's Kiki, but the other dog, we kept the name, is Kathy. I think it would have been so funny if it was the dog was also named Abby, because it would have been so confusing. Yeah, though that was why, because we tried to, I, I had her in like doggy school for a while, so it wouldn't have worked. But I do think it's very, I do have to sometimes remind myself that the other dog we have is fully named Kathy. Like, just like the very white mom name. So we do have just a little dog. We're like, oh, hi, Kathy. How are you? To a dog. Uh, sh- can I just say that we're in no way, shape, or form associated with the television show Criminal Minds? Diggs, do you want to share our rating criteria? Yeah, so the rating criteria for this episode, as always, is going to be uh, based like the criminal and serial killer. Like, how how cool are they? Do we like them? Do we fully condone all of their actions in the episode? Um, character development and character arcs. So our main cast, how are they doing at this point? Have they let Spencer Reed be bisexual yet? Um, forensics and context. Obviously the forensics and context, you know how it is. We are police officers. Um, the script writing, we're going to we're going to critique their writer's room and call out specific people by name if they've commit sins. Um, and then background characters. How are the background characters, the new characters for the episode, the characters we'll never see again, the characters that get really weird porn drawn of them on Tumblr, how are they? Are they still smoking cigars or... Are they actually doing their job and not smoking a cigar at work? It's his God-given right to smoke that cigar. This is America. This is Florida. He should not be smoking it in a medical examiner's office. That's all he I have can to do say. Whatever you want. <laughs> we open in Hazelwood Hospital for the criminally insane in Florida. We have a couple of presumably doctors debating with a family. A quest? A couple? Question mark. Okay. I think it's a council, like, of all doctors. I don't think it's his family. I thought it was his family, but I'm very dumb, so we we could be wrong. Apparently, this boy will not take medication. Allegedly, this medication made him put on 160 pounds because of side effects. And, but they're like, oh, but his, you know, he's not, he needs to be medicated. Like, this person is very unwell. But apparently, now that he is 18, he's going to be released. And he is. So things are already starting off grim. There's this one doctor who's like, you can't let him go. I've got this this secret notebook of all of his crimes. He's a menace to society. And then this Bill Nye, the science guy looking motherfuckers like, it's out of our hands. And I'm like, oh, okay. I love Bill Nye. Yeah, he fucking, he looks, I texted Abby and I was like, it's crazy that Bill Nye made his acting debut in season three, episode eight of Criminal Minds. And Abby for a moment was like, oh my God. He looks like a decrepit Bill Nye. He does, he does. 
So we cut and we now see this 18-year-old being released and he is, you know, stroking his satanic books. Which I paused and zoomed in on. Oh? So he has several books on his shelf. A couple of them I couldn't make out, right? There's one that just says, like, 10th Anniversary Fables and has, like, the threefold on the spine and stuff. There's three that are blank. There's one that's called Black and Red Ruled. There's one that just has a pentagram, one that says Satanic Scriptures. But then the last book is just, a like, an H.P. Lovecraft anthology. Oh, my God. Which, first of all, is expressly not satanic, right? Obviously, the Lovecraft stories don't really deal with, with Satan. It's its own mythos and kind of popularized cosmic horror and deals with its own set of, like, old gods and stuff. But, like, it's also not even, like, one of the anthology, like the the edition that it is, it's not even one of the anthologies that would be like relevant to this guy's deal. It has all like the really kind of like basic ones in it. It's like your Call of Cthulhu's and stuff like that. It's not like Herbert West Reanimator or anything that actually deals with like human people and bodies and things like that. So it just whatever confusing. Now we cut and we see Garcia walking into a quirky little coffee shop. And there is a guy in the shop who catches her eye. And this is because he is having trouble with a laptop. So she offers to help him and there is tension. Garcia is able to fix it for him and she introduces her, like, and he introduces himself to her. And his name is James Colby Baylor. And he asks her out to lunch, and she very, like, awkwardly but enthusiastically accepts and is very, like, oh my gosh, how did this even happen kind of a thing. Which, I mean, same. It, it, it'd be like that. So, when at work, Garcia is greeted by none other than Morgan, who then calls her out on him not responding to her in the same way when he greets her. Because he always is, like, says, like, what's up, baby, or something like that. And she always replies with the same energy, and she didn't do that this time. And so she tells him about how she was asked out by James, although she does share with him how she feels a little bit apprehensive about the whole thing. I don't know. It's kind of a weird situation, because, like, if Morgan was, like, her friend that was a girl, like, and being like, oh, you should trust your gut, like, you wouldn't think twice, but because Morgan is a smoking hot man... And she is attracted to men. It is kind of weird and uncomfortable. And she, like, definitely has a little crush on him. But, like, and the way he replies is, like, you know, he's like, oh, well, you should trust your gut if something feels wrong. And she takes it as a very personal thing. And is like, oh, you think that a hot guy wouldn't ask me out is what this means. Whereas he was just like, no, if the person feels off, they feel off. Which is also, to me, a little silly that she took it that way. Because, like, I mean, okay, he is a straight dude who she kind of has a thing for, whatever. But he is also, like, a profiler for the FBI, and he sees just, like, horrific crime all the time. And I feel like if you ask your FBI friend, like, oh, I got kind of weird vibes from this guy, he's going to be like, well, you know, you want to see someone who also got weird vibes but still went on the date? Hi, this is Elizabeth Short. Like, you you (laughs) guys... I, I I feel like the weirdness of him doing that is kind of put off by the fact that, like, this is his actual expertise. And I also feel like they got to define that relationship, like, her and Morgan. Like, it's it's not defined. Like, it definitely gets defined in the next episode, but, like, it's still kind of, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
So this is when this episode starts to feel a little too personal. And um, I should qualify, not qualify, I should clarify this by saying I spent a lot of time in Florida when I was growing up. Mac and I met in Florida. We did. Mm-hmm. Shark bite capital of the world. Another thing I should say is I am very afraid of alligators. Alligators freak me out a lot. We now hear about a girl named Abby who is freaking dead. JJ's briefing of them on this, I should say. So Abby was 19, left home to go to a college thing, and then never came back. And then some joggers found half of her body in a park three days later. And she was found near, quote, Alligator Alley. Everything beneath her waist was eaten away. But uh, an inverted pentagram was also cut into her chest, as well as her fingers being cut off and her throat being slit. The team debates satanic cults, but apparently Rossi was the one to debunk that serial killer cults saying they don't exist. They're like, those don't exist. And Rossi's like, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, you're the one who proved that. And they're like, oh, yeah, thank you for that. And read like quotes Rossi's book and Rossi's like you just quoted my book word for word anyways they conclude that this murder was definitely a ritualistic killing that 100% could turn serial if this perpetrator is not caught so it's not a satanic cult but it is ritualistic so we cut away and we now see someone ominously playing a record while also fondling fingers surrounded by Renaissance art. The song is Sitting, on the, Sitting in the Dark by Louis Armstrong. So on the jet, Rossi talks about how there are two types of violent satanic killers. There are teen Satanists who assume the identity of a Satanist to like rebel against authority basically be like fuck you teacher i don't need school but then with drugs and alcohol that may turn violent although it is usually accidental violence but the second type is the one that you have to worry about that's the adaptive so the adaptive serial killer satanist would rationalize his fantasies by blaming them on outside forces like satan so he adapts satanic beliefs to fit his homicidal drives So he doesn't kill because he believes in Satan. He believes in Satan because he kills. This is also a pretty big thing in, like, just uh, people being scary in general, whether it's, like, people who are actually committing crimes or just, like, other stuff, is that, like, the invocation of Satan and Satanism often doesn't stem from, like, that person's belief, but just, like, the impact that invoking Satan can have... Like, they talk about it in this episode a little bit about, like, this, you know, the idea of Satan can affect even the non-religious. Just people sort of respond to it. It's a very, like, reactive thing. And so even if you don't believe in it, you can use it to stir things up or target people specifically who do believe in it. So if you're, you know, going to murder the daughter of some churchgoers, carving a pentagram into her chest is a pretty good way to do that. And similar to that... Like, not to, like, jump the shark or anything, but, like, I feel like this happens with, like, cannibalism, too, of people be like, cannibal killers, and it's meant to be like, it was infinitely worse, like, uh-oh, here we, the worst thing a human can do, it's like, well, okay, it's, it's used as a sensationalizer, 
uh, and it, it can change the perspective on a case. Say, like, you know, just saying someone's a serial killer pales in comparison to saying, like, someone's a cannibal killer, right? Even if your serial killer has a track record of 14 bodies and your cannibal killer just, you know, broke into a hospital and stole some stuff. Yeah, and that's something that, like, Hotch then says, because he's like, even if you are not religious or not, like, the presence of satanic elements can and likely will affect everyone, so you all need to keep an eye on each other and on everyone. So, now we are at the medical examiner's office, (laughs) and he's smoking a cigar! Is that even legal? (laughs) No, it can't be legal, there's no way. The sheriff is the one smoking the cigar. So my comment was, this case is serious, but not so serious where the sheriff's going to stop smoking his cigar. So apparently what happened was they found Abby's car at a gas station, but there were no signs of foul play. And then the gators ate her during the night. But before that, her nose had been broken likely 48 hours before she was like munched. And additionally, the slit on her throat was what was caused her to die. And that was likely done eight hours before the body was found. Also, this might be my favorite part of the episode. And I'm sorry if this is like offensive or like insensitive, but as they're there, Prentice is like, was there any sexual assault? And I'm like, ma'am, it's just a torso. It's just a torso. I don't know how much forensic evidence you can see with, like, I know there are other orifices and everything, but I was like, she doesn't have any legs. Like, and the, you know, the examiner is like, the state of the body makes it impossible to determine, which I felt like was a polite way to be like, ma'am. Prentice is pretty dumb throughout this episode. There are she co- is. She's she's you just get to see a lot of her like mouth falling open and I'm like, why? And her like asking questions that I'm sure she already knows the answer to. Yeah, don't do this to Padgett. She's amazing. But additionally, we learn that the pentagram on her chest was done post-mortem, and the finger removal, but the finger removal was done right before her death because they fed the fingers to her, which I ask, is that vegan to eat yourself or what we presume to be yourself? Here's the thing is it depends on your brand of veganism. Um, People who are vegan just on the sense of like, no animal or animal byproducts, it would not be considered vegan, which is like the classic definition of, of veganism. But if your definition of veganism uh, involves consent, um, like was like taken from an animal with, with or without consent, it would then depend on her willingness to eat those things. Like some people argue that like if consent is given, it's vegan, right? Because if we're talking about like veganism from the perspective of animal rights rather than like ecology, it's like, oh, we're slaughtering pigs to use for whatever. But like if someone either consents for you to drink their breast milk or can like like um like you're feeding a baby or a bodybuilder, or is just, you know, like when I get this amputation, less I'll eat my leg, like that then could be considered vegan. But I don't think she cares about veganism because she didn't really consent to this. And there's no evidence that she actually was vegan, right? No, I'm just talking about Yeah, yeah. 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 We cut and we're at church. 
Morgan and Rossi and JJ arrive, and Morgan requests that Rossi be the one to interview the priest, and Rossi's like, sure thing, but then throws Morgan under the bus and makes him interview the priest. I think that's a shitty thing to do. Yeah, Rossi is shitty. And Father Marx refers to Morgan as an overdue customer, so the church is a business! So Morgan asks about, like, whether there have been any break-ins at the church, any threats or, like, bad behavior, but there's been none. And then he also asks about, like, Satan and Satan questions, and Father Marx is like, yeah, dog, we haven't seen any of that. Like, there's been nothing. So now it gets a little bit personal again. JJ is interviewing Abby's parents, and her dad and my dad have the same name, which is spooky. Um, apparently Abby is a Leo though, so we're in the clear on that aspect. Um, we learned that her father was the one to ID her body, but he didn't really see her and the doctors were like, we're not going to tell you what happened, but it's going to be a closed casket. So we cut back to the station and the team is concluding that this is definitely a serial killer that they are dealing with. Additionally, Rossi is stating that the fingers are a message since they are the only signs of like sadism within this entire like murder experience. And Hotch reveals that the fingers in her in her stomach were not hers and six of them were index fingers. So he has done this before. And now I am really confused. Was she just swallowing these fingers like the way that Diggs swallows string cheese? Did she chew? They said the fingers were cut at the first knuckle. Is that from the tip or the base? Well, we I thought it was the base because we saw him with the fingers in the bag and they looked pretty elongated. I mean, even if she chewed a little, I mean, if it were me, I would just swallow them. I wouldn't want to chew. Like if someone was force feeding me other people's fingers. Would you rather eat your fingers or someone else's fingers? Oh, that's a really good question. Someone else's fingers, because then I would hope that I could still have my fingers. I don't know where those fingers have been, though. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. I want to talk about this young blonde. Now we cut away and we see a young blonde walking along to, like, a rest stop along a deserted wooded road. So we know she's going to get got. Like, we know- Whenever Criminal Minds introduces a young woman, like, not even halfway through an episode, we know she's going to die. So she gets into the bathroom stall and closes the door. And upon that, she sees an upside down pentagram. Like, I guess it was blood or paint. I don't know. It's red drawn. And someone from the stall next to her, like, jumps down off the toilet, exits. And we hear her scream. And we know she's a goner. So we cut and Garcia gets a call from Cadet Boy, um, the guy from the coffee shop. And he asks if she'd rather make that lunch dinner instead tomorrow night and she says she would but you know she's coming down with something so she says she'll call him some other time to make it up so she's rejecting him but while she's rejecting this dinner invitation she's also able to id all the fingers that abby ate because you know she somehow didn't chew she just swallowed them whole and the stomach acids didn't do anything to get rid of the fingerprints each finger belonged to a different woman and there was 10 in total and a lot of them were sex workers, so they were apparently easy to identify. So while on the phone with Morgan, Garcia tells him that she blew off the hot guy, and he's like, oh, good. And now Garcia is defensive again because she feels like Morgan just insulted her. So 
Garcia throws his number, had thrown his number in the trash, and then she goes and, refi- re- you know, like, retrieves that phone number from the trash, and I realize that I have the same trash can as Garcia. So now we're at the briefest profile briefing of the entire series, because they're like, this is what we're dealing with. We learn that this serial killer is from Bridgewater, Florida, and they know this is the location because of his past victims. They were all surrounding Bridgewater, so he must be from there because this was his safety zone, or as they put it in the last episode, area of jeopardy. Oh, um, remember shit. the jeopardy? Yes, to the jeopardy, whatever. So basically, they were like, safety zone. He intentionally violated his safety vo- zone and left fingers in Bridgewater because he wants them to know he's there. And then t- Detective Jordan gets a phone call interrupting the briefing because they found the body of the girl in the bathroom. And again, we didn't get a single fucking profile in this at all. So Rossi and Emily go to the rest shop and find the stall where she was killed. And Rossi says that this unsub was likely in a mental institution because he left books stacked neatly together on the toilet. Quote, One neat aspect. The severely mentally ill have chaos all around them. When they're institutionalized, they're given orders, taught to keep their rooms clean and neat. When discharged, they stop taking their meds, their minds fall back into chaos, but often they do one thing to keep one some order back into it, which feels like a huge leap. Um, and Prentice then just calls Garcia and's like, you should search local mental institutions. <laughs> I love that this man has enough books that he's just leaving collections of them in random toilet stalls. Also, I just want to say, I don't care how meticulous you are, those books are never going to fucking stay like that. There, You cannot balance three books pressed that tightly together with no tilting on a toilet. Especially in Florida with the Florida humidity, those books are going to warp so fast and fall apart. Facts. Facts. So we cut back with the detectives and the rest of the team, and Morgan is upset because Father Marks showed up. Uh, Morgan is worried because he thinks the unsub could be a part of Father Marks's congregation, but Hotch is like, okay, but unsubs often insert themselves into the investigation anyways. The whole team and community is setting up for a search and rescue event for Tracy, the girl from the bathroom. Uh, and I, you know, I have a feeling she's going to be found McFreaking dead, so whatever. Which also, what the fuck is this rescue? Like, the way they're searching is so weird. In a wooded area, you're just kind of all going willy-nilly. Like, you got Well, they were like, up... she had gone hiking. Yeah, you gotta set up, like, quadrants of people, and then find her car. You have to set up, like, alright, we have searched this section. You walk in a line, and you go straight across, and then you block that section off, and then you do the next one, and the next, and the next. And then, if you're fucking one of the 411 cases, you're gonna be found where they've already fucking searched for you because you're being got. So, we see the community looking through the Florida wilderness, and then one of the local women who was out searching gets snatched very quickly, which is pretty bold. Um, so we cut, and it is now nighttime, and we see a cop rolling up on a car because they're going to tell him to stop speeding, but right as he goes to approach the car, he gets, like, I guess, buzzed and is like, there's a woman missing, go! And so the guy is like, you know what, it's fine, just slow down. He doesn't even, like, apprehend the guy, he doesn't look at him, he does nothing, and he walks away, but as he's, like, zooming away, we can, like, hear that the woman who was snatched is, like, literally in the trunk of that car. 
Morgan then has another frustrating conversation with Father Marks because Morgan is upset because Father Marks denies that anyone in his congregation could be the unsub. And now Morgan is finally acknowledging that he was abused as a kid and how, you know, he tried to turn to God and God didn't do shit. Um, Which, you know, makes sense. It tracks. Um, Had we ever had the impression that Morgan was religious before this or had a religious past? Not really. Is this the first time after how many episodes he's acknowledging that he was abused after that one episode? Yes. 19. It's been 19 episodes. And meanwhile, we had like, I don't, 10 episodes of Reed's drama. Not that we don't love Reed, but, uh, you know, literally JJ even got an extra episode where she was traumatized, but Morgan, nope. Morgan then goes back into the church to apologize to Father Marks, and there is, he sees that there's like one woman sitting in the pews, but, you know, she doesn't react and Morgan tries talking to her. He says something again, she doesn't react. So he taps her on the shoulder and she tips over. She's McFreakin' dead, pentagram and all. Team has like the corpse that Morgan found examined and they realize that this is not either of the women they are looking for. Her name is like, I think it's Maria something. And she has been reported missing. She she had been reported missing nine months ago, uh, but her body has only been dead for like 72 hours. There was no sexual assault, and Hotch suggests that they check to see if she had been frozen, because he's like, I think he's eating them. And it's very shortly confirmed that she was frozen. So Hotch now decides to explain how he got to cannibalism, because uh, he just kind of came in with that guns blazing. Um, And he's like, you know, he didn't keep them for sex. He only kept their legs and the murder of Abby was a message. He told them by feeding that, he told them that message by feeding those fingers to her. Um, So Garcia calls and is like, you should look into Hazelwood. Um, And there's this whole like convoluted story about how their head, all their records were destroyed in a fire, but one of the what doctors like you know threw his record book out the window so he could land in a tree when he died in a fire i my comment was so like the guy in the beginning the like doctor in the beginning who was like we can't let him out i have this secret book is the one who died in the fire and bill nye is telling them this story and bill nye tells them that he found this doctor's notebook like on the ground after the fire so i wrote Bill Nye, the science guy, tells them a story about how that one doctor yeeted his secret diary out of the window and into a tree with his last dying breath. Literally, that was, though. That was my comment. He and never it. read it. And he never read it. <laughs> yeah, he didn't fucking read it. Well, Bill Nye's got other stuff going on. Reed reads it aloud and says, on top of this patient taking a bite out of his nine-year-old sister, he, quote, believes he is possessed by a flesh-eating demon. His name is Floyd Phelan. And the local detective knows this name and is like, Floyd Phelan? So they decide, uh, you know, time to find this Phelan guy. So they swarm him and they break into this dirty house. Uh, you know, there's it's just dirty. There's nothing in it. But then they venture towards the basement where there's some music playing. And down in the basement, he's basically turned it into like those walk-in freezers that you go to cry in for like five minutes when you work in a restaurant, then like leave. Not only is it a freezer... Where you could, you know, store food. It's a freezer full of the corpses of women. Prentice then finds Cheryl alive in another room, not in the freezer. But And they save her, but Tracy is still missing. And 
Floyd is sitting naked in front of his altar and there's blood everywhere and satanic, you know, stereotypical satanic stuff. And so they ask where Tracy is, but he doesn't answer. And then Hodge just grabs his recipe book, which confirms that he kills them after 72 hours, but it's only been, Tracy's only been gone for 24, so she must be alive. So now we have Floyd in the station. He's been apprehended and Morgan is questioning him. And he's like, so have you tried them all? Referring to the recipes. And Floyd is like, he's only tried the ones that have the smiley faces. And he's like, okay, but what about the frowny faces? And he goes, those are the ones that, quote, didn't turn out so good. And he says he is not smart, but he has a smart friend who tells him things. And he's like, my friend wants to tell you something. Your watch stopped. I need to I need to now share the recipes because it took me like a full 10 minutes to zoom in and get the recipes. So there are only two recipes in this Floyd Phelan murder book that I that are shown. The first is Kobe girl steak and there's a smiley face. And this isn't a recipe. It's just some notes that Phelan has written for himself. And I guess others who are going to read this this afterwards. Here are the notes. Cut below the waist. And then there's this shitty drawing of like a girl. And then it says, note, freeze body when not in use or it will spoil. (laughs) And then it says, squeeze thighs. Use extremely sharp knife. And then here is skewered she. And this has a frowny face. And here's the recipe. Half a pound of beef tenderloin cut into one and a half inch cubes three tablespoons of olive oil, eight tablespoons of butter melted, one tablespoon of chopped fresh thyme, one tablespoon of Dijon mustard, a quarter quarter teaspoon each of red pepper flakes, salt, and freshly ground black pepper, and six tablespoons of lemon juice. That sounds so fucking good, TBA. I know, I know. But it also looks like he he like cut it out of like a recipe book. And so obviously he's substituting Cheryl, yeah, for the tenderloin. But like I'm like who's what fucking food chef person's recipe is that that they used for this fucking show? So at first they're like we thought you liked young attractive women cuz you were sexually into them. But no, it's because you like the way that their bodies taste. <laughs> and he's like, I don't like drug users. They taste funny. He's, he's like, I don't like drug users. They taste funny. I'm smart. <laughs> exactly. And But the thing is, he's still refusing to tell them where Tracy Lambert is. And he's like, I can only tell Father Marks that. So they're like, Father Marks, get in here. So he comes in and he agrees to go in there. But like Morgan's like, don't talk to him at all. Let me do the talking. Uh, you just sit there. Um, and I guess they're kind of trying to like treat it like a confessional of sorts. So while this is happening, Rossi is like looking through the paperwork and like sign-up sheets for the search. Um, and he's like, he's like, Freud Phelan signed the sign-in sheet, but his name was not on the list of the searchers. So then... Floyd is like, Father, I feel so alone. You gotta do the accent. You gotta do the accent. Father, I feel so alone. I feel like God has abandoned me. And Father Marks is like, you are not alone, my son. God is in all of us. 
And then Rossi from the other side of the glass is like, we need to stop the interview. And Floyd is like, so is Tracy Lambert. <laughs> and the sheriff is like, he was feeding the volunteers. And Prentice is like, <gasps> and this is like Father Marks just goes like berserk and is like trying to like attack him. And there's like this, you know, per per Morgan's contract, he has to manhandle some and it pulls them out. And Floyd is like immediately chuckling and everyone else is losing their shit. And we find out that like Floyd literally owns a freaking barbecue. Why was that not the first goddamn thing they mentioned? The sheriff? The the father? Oh my god. Why, why didn't they say, why weren't they like, welcome to Bridgewater. We have a like, like you know, we have an absolutely banging barbecue in this area. You should totally check it out. Why did they not plant that seed way earlier in the episode? I I don't understand how it's a cannibal episode. And once the sheriff knows who the guy is, he's not automatically like, yo, he's got a literal restaurant. He's an entrepreneur and he serves the community. And he was, in fact, serving the community at the search and rescue for Tracy Lambert. I'm like, he I'm- was serving them chili. And it's the loosest looking shitty chili that I've ever seen in my life. That was yeah. That was some real. That was some real watery chili. So we're back on the jet, and Morgan and Rossi are having a heart to heart. You know, like how the team usually does at the end of the episode, where they try to remind you how this isn't like propaganda, um, and that everyone has a heart. But before it ends, we, you know, we get the end code and everything. We see Garcia being walked home by her date. Um, and it looks like, you know, she and James did get dinner and it was really cute. And they say goodnight and they talk about like how, you know, oh, I don't know if I believe in like, you know, fate, but everything is meant to be. And so it looks like they're about to go in for a kiss, but he like fakes her out. And so she begins to walk inside and he's like walking, like, you know, she's walking up the step to her like apartment door and he turns and walks away. And then he's like, Hey, Garcia. And she turns around and is like, what? And he's like, I've been thinking about doing this all night and pulls out a gun and freaking shoots her. And that's the end of the episode. Oh, <laughs> love it because it's like, you know, I've been waiting to do this all night or I've been thinking about doing this all night is like totally the line you get before they kiss. And it's like, no, we're going to murder her. And I love it. Yeah. Oh, whoosh. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Diggs, do you have some stuff you want to share with us hell yeah i do so i was asked to be on this particular episode because i am the world's number one podcast scholar on cannibalism uh to hear more of my takes and opinions you can listen to my podcast genre blind where supposedly we talk about tropes and how they're used in media but usually we just moan about cannibalism and then talk about boats i would like to dig into to some to some things about cannibalism uh the first thing i want to start with is this unsub himself he doesn't make sense as a cannibal he like that that doesn't like a proper cannibal that doesn't seem like his his mo uh, because it seems to be way more taunting, way more based on like humiliation, that coupled with the satanic imagery, which is oftentimes used, like I said before, to sort of just like intimidate your victims and their families. You get a little more into like with his actual profile of like 
uh, Richard Chase and Robert Pickton. Robert Pickton in that he was big into like the dismemberment and the feeding other people um human meat so robert Pickton, he's he should be like a renowned heavy hitter but he's kind of like a little known canadian cannibal um which when you search canadian cannibal you only hear stories about luca magnata and whatever Pickton's pretty interesting he um believe it or not worked in the meat industry uh and would you know mutilate women and then some of their meat was very obviously mixed into his meat that he used and sent to refineries and stuff. And then Richard Chase um, fits this a little more too in that he's not cannibalizing because of like a, a sexual interest or anything like that. It's more based around... So he almost certainly had Cotard syndrome, which is the belief that you are a living corpse or like believe that you need to like replenish your body's supply so he from a young age was like eating um or drinking animals blood and injecting it into himself and so like part of his cannibalism which there was only one account of so you know does he deserve to be called a cannibal killer probably not but was to sort of like replenish that but there's a couple different distinct types of cannibalism there's endocannibalism, which means eating within like your same group. So like someone from your community dies and you eat them either as part of the grieving process or to sort of like reintegrate their spirit or them into your family, right? So this is like the thing you hear about a lot of times when you talk about like ritualistic cannibalism and tribal can like stuff like that. That's what they're talking about. It's not just like, ooh, these uncivilized people are eating these corpses. It's like, no, I want to keep dad with me. I want to rebring him back into the family. And like part of my grieving process is is doing that. In the same way that someone might like wear someone's ashes around their neck or something like that. Exocannibalism is a lot of times what we think about. It is much more of like a show of force. So like you kill one of your enemies and eat them to be like "Ooh, we are very scary or to intimidate your enemy or also to like integrate whoever they are into like the belief of like oh if you eat something you'll take on its its characteristics we all know what homicidal cannibalism is and then necro cannibalism which is the most common type of cannibalism which is like the survival cannibalism it's out of need you eat those that are already dead so if you think about um the plane that crashed into the mountains if you think about the uss indianapolis if you think donner party if you think lost franklin expedition all of that is can necro cannibalism cannibalism out of necessity people are already dead the sensation you are feeling most is hunger so you assume they are dying from starvation and so you you eat those bodies so there have been cases, like more more recent cases, uh, of cannibalism happening that are completely legal and barely even frowned upon. So like my like my hero now, um, Rick Gibson is one of these people um, who he is a he's a performance artist, and at one point he just kind of like you know acquired some human meat um being like 
tonsils that got removed or testicles that had been removed, stuff like that. And just, you know, ate them publicly. Um, and he got arrested for like, um, like public, uh, oh goodness, what was it called? It's kind of like public indecency, like for doing something gruesome in public, uh, but not for the cannibalism. And then when he got out, he like scheduled a time and then just like ate another human testicle on the sta- uh, steps of the uh, Vancouver courthouse because he's extremely cool. Uh, 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 Feel free to edit all of that out. I'm going to leave like the, a lot. Everything I've said. I'm going to leave a lot of it in. So people will know. People will know that you're out here <laughs> condoning. I am. You can go listen to my podcast, Genre Blind, where I condone it even fucking more. I just finished writing a novella. You know what it's about? Cannibalism. Come participate in my cool world. Murder is wrong. Cutting people up for me if they don't want you to do that is wrong. But the actual consummation of human meat is not a bad thing. The flesh of the flesh is flesh. Exactly. Meat is meat is meat is meat. If you're willing to eat meat and you draw the line at humans, mmm. Yeah, let's let's rate this episode. <laughs> See, the thing is, I was like, we should bring my boyfriend on for an episode. What episode? The cannibalism. And I, and the thing is, I'm not, I'm not surprised that this is what happened. But I'm so like, I shouldn't be surprised. But am I? Abigail hears this every day. Abigail, you just have to know that, like, if there was a, a situation where you died and Diggs did not have access to food, you'd be McFreakin' munched. <laughs> So this criminal slash serial killer. Lame. Sucks. Let's each throw out a number. Fifteen. Two. Ten. Okay, ten. I think this score is pretty high with character development. I think you should do a twenty. Yeah. Yeah, people do seem to do things. I want to give it a high score for Forensics and Context just because we've never had a cannibal before. Yes. Baby's first cannibal. I like this episode. This is the first cannibal episode? Yeah. You're going to be on every one after this, just so you know. Perfect. I have a lot to say. I feel like we should give it like a 17. Okay. Because we didn't get any profile. I think this script is hysterical. I I just, I, I, I mean, I like this episode, so I'm willing to just say fuck it and give it a high score. Well, okay, no, no, no. I'm going to say in a writer's room, someone should have pointed out, hey, we have a cannibal episode and he runs a restaurant. Should we mention that? Yes. So let's give it a 17. You want to give it lower, Diggs? I think that a lot of things slipped through the cracks. And I think the writers did not like keep their own story in mind while doing it. So like script wise, it's fine. But like, Plot-wise and continuity-wise, I feel like it has its defects. Yeah, I still have questions about the fingers. 15? Yeah, that's fair. Background characters. I'm gonna smoke this hair cigar in this hair medical office, and I don't care what anybody says. 17? Yeah. The grand total is 79. Follow us at Unsubbed Podcast on all of the things and follow me at yourneuapartment.tumblr.com. 
Yeah, and you can follow my podcast, which is a little bit of a which is Between Stays and Screen, and you can find that on all streaming services as well as on Instagram at And thanks, where can they find me? You can find me on my podcast, Genre Blind, with my co-host, Annalie Tominelli. Uh, we talk about how tropes are used in media. It's a good time. We talk a lot about cannibalism to the point that we had to put an embargo on it on our last episode <laughs> uh, where we didn't talk about it. Uh, you can follow us uh, by listening to the podcast or at Genre Blind Podcast on Instagram, at uh, Memento Mortsink on Instagram and TikTok. And we'll uh, link Dix's stuff in our uh, show notes. All right. We'll see you guys in a couple days. I, gee, I hope Garcia's okay. 